Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique best self meets the world and contributes to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Belinda Clemenson. Belinda helps women live and lead to their full potential. As an ICF certified coach and award-winning designer and facilitator of leadership development initiatives across North America and beyond, Belinda has now turned her focus to helping women lead in whatever domain or industry inspires them with her unique program, the Women's Leadership Intensive. Welcome to the podcast, Belinda. I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks. I'm delighted to be here. So uh, you and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, Belinda was actually a, uh, uh, for, for the listeners, uh, absolutely crucial part of a training and development company I had in the late 90s. We traveled all over the place, including France, which was fantastic. And uh, it's, it's been a while since we have connected. So I'm delighted that we're, we're getting back in touch because uh, Belinda is doing some amazing things in the realm of women's leadership, and I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you about that. So what, what led you to create the Women's Leadership Intensive, which is your, your main program where you work with women in the leadership realm? Well, as you know, um, I've been doing people development work for a long time, some of that with you back in the 90s, um, and a lot of that is focused around leadership. And About five, six years ago, I started to have uh, a disappointing realization that a lot of the leadership development work I was doing wasn't really going anywhere impactful. It was, um, you know, developing managers almost um, because they had to be there, not because they chose to be there. And I was starting to Mm -hmm. question whether it was actually leadership. Um, or if it was just, you know, adding more skills to maintain the status quo. Hmm. In my mind, people who lead um, make change and have impact in the world. And that was not what I was seeing. So I struggled with that for many years to sort of figure out, if not that, then how? And what could I do that would actually take this body of work that I'd been, you know, building for myself over the last 20 years in leadership development and apply it to true leaders? Where would I want to take that? Mm, I love what you said about people who lead um, effecting change and having impact. Uh, How do you see that? How do you see that rolling out? How do you see that showing up in the world as, as in leaders? Well, I see that the traditional structures and systems that we've built um, don't really foster much of that. What they foster is, um, you know, sort of people keeping their heads down and that seems to be, you know, rewarded, not necessarily in a, in this sort of outstanding kind of a way, but, um, you know, it keeps people, uh, it, ke- it keeps people doing what they're expected to do as opposed to maybe what they feel is more meaningful or what they feel more called to do in a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, that to me 
I, I see is sort of at the root of a lot of some of the complex social challenges that we're facing right now. Um, and I think that, you know, switching, switching gears to um, leadership that is more purpose-driven, more values-driven is, is something that is going to start making a difference. We're seeing, I think, an uprising of this, um, but it's still pushing up against a huge force that is about maintaining the status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really great point that you make. And you and I used to talk about this a lot in terms of training and development initiatives often being quite vanilla and very bland. Yeah. And as you said, maintaining the status quo rather than really allowing people to tap into something powerful within themselves that has not had a chance to flourish. And um, that's, I mean, that's how I see your program as a way of, and the work you're doing now is really as a way to uh, allow people to be part of the change that's happening and to do that, not just personally, but within their organizations as well, which is a bit of a radical view in some corporate environments. I don't think it's entirely across the board. And I think that's shifting as well. But um, with the rise of purpose-driven companies, but it's it's uh, certainly there's a lot of of still status quo-y stuff going on. Yeah, and I think what you said about it being you know radical in some cases is true, and therefore it requires a fair bit of courage, um, as well as a, a good support system for people to step into that. Right? It is not mm. as easy as it sounds to take right. those risks and um, challenge, challenge status quo in service of um, whether that's purpose or, or values or, you know, sort of my end game here, which is around let's make better decisions as a society, better decisions for all people. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, was thinking about your the the leadership work that you're doing and and you've tapped you've touched on it a little bit already I, I wanted to ask you what you think is needed for women to go on a kind of journey and I, I know I, I want to ask you about this as well we can we can speak more about it in a moment but you were part of initiating and and co-founding this an initiative called paddle to a cure which is a breast cancer related fundraising program, but it's much more than that. It's a journey with a purpose, you call it. And uh, I I think that's a a really great metaphor for leadership um, is a journey with a purpose. So how can women go on that journey? What do they need in order to do that? Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting correlation between um, the Paddle to a Cure experience and the Women's Leadership Intensive, because I think Paddle to a Cure was where I really experimented with what is different in a women's leadership model versus the the sort of more traditional leadership model, which by default is male. I mean, it, it's often considered mm-hmm. gender neutral, but it's not. Um, right. And so we, we, you know, worked with a few principles that I'm still using today, which is community, co-creation, inclusiveness, shared decision-making, uh, lack of hierarchy. And, and these, these concepts sound really good. They're quite complex in practice, but they're very, very mm-hmm. valuable. And, and they change the dynamics of human relationships, but they also change the dynamics of what we decide to do. So the yeah. outcomes are different because the process is different. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, I think that's often the, the kind of missing link in a way of it's great to talk about these things conceptually and here's my intention, here's, here's even, the, even the vision of purpose is really uh, a vision, a, a direction that you want to head, but actually putting it into action that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the real challenge lies in my mind. I mean, at least for me, I'm, I tend to be more the visionary, much more the visionary. Um, and so the, the putting it into action is as essential, if not more so than the vision, because otherwise it, it just is something that you can sit around and think about. It doesn't actually change anything. So are there, what are the things you've learned around actually putting these things into action and, and being able to make change and have impact? I, I think, I know it's kind of a general question. Well, but. I completely agree with you about that. And I think, you know, back from, from the paddle to a cure days, one thing that really struck me was the number of people who came up to me during that time and said, Oh, I had an idea just like this, but I didn't do it. You know, <laughs> and, and i you know, at the time I was like, you know, great for you that you had that idea, but really the action is, I think, the sort of hard, unglamorous part, which is just rolling up your sleeves and, and doing the work and along the way, knowing that it's not always going to um, go smoothly just because your vision is, is, is a noble one or your vision is an inspiring one or your vision is to make this world a better place. It's still hard work. And that I think is where the community, the network um, becomes so important because if we're each doing that on our own, it is just way too hard mm-hmm. and lonely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's something I often say to my clients, which is as soon as you take action, the landscape shifts. I think we underestimate the um, I'm going to be kind of woo-woo here and, and call it the magic of taking action because things that you didn't see from where you were standing before, as soon as you start to take action on something, it it does shift your perspective. You see opportunities, you meet people that allow you to do something that may end up in the ultimately being quite different from what you'd originally envisioned. That's part of the, the essence of action as well. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that we need to keep in mind is that the action is imperfect. Um, you know, and that is, that's a box that I think women particularly have been caught into, which is the expectation that if they are going to lead, they have to somehow be perfect. They have to do it perfectly. Mm. Otherwise they get demonized and ripped apart. And um, the scrutiny of, of women who take action and lead things is very deep and destructive. Um, Mm. And so for us to um, recognize and kind of rally behind imperfect action and continue to support one another and be good allies, even when we make mistakes is really important. Hmm. Well, how do you work with people around getting over that fear of, of lack of perfection? Because I think it is so much what stymies people. Uh, well, I, I think women in particular to even take on that role of leadership because it feels like, well, I can't possibly do it really well at the beginning and I really don't want to do it badly. So I'll just kind of hang back here. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, there's a couple of of ways that we address that. And one of them is 
you know, providing the social context for women's leadership experiences, which are very different than men's leadership experiences. The journey there is not the same journey. Um, so that context means that we each have our individual uh, insecurities or, or um, you know, places where we're afraid to take action. We're not sure. Um, and it, we each have those individual experiences, but they are part of a larger social context, which, which pushes us in that direction and embeds mm -hmm. some of those things in us. You know, we are, as women, also raised in a misogynistic society, right? So we um, internalize some of that, those expectations on ourselves and on each other. So we are not mm -hmm. always the best allies to one another because we're internalizing some of that socialization ourselves. So understanding that broader context, not to blame or to get um, pessimistic about it, but just to understand how it plays into our own thoughts um, and, and actions, I think is really helpful. So it's to say, yes, I am an individual, but I am also part of something that's happening around me that influences me. If I'm aware of it, I can make different choices about it. Yeah, I really like what you said about providing a social context because, uh, I mean, there's research that I'm sure you're aware of, of uh, men applying for positions with only 30% of the qualifications, whereas women feel they need 80 or 90% or some very high percentage in order to even be considered. And um, that closes off some potential opportunities. Certainly. So. It's, it's exactly, you know, it's, it's one of the key factors that creates this leaky pipeline on the way to the highest levels of leadership, um, whether that's in business or in politics, et cetera, right? There's, there's so many places along the women's leadership journey where, um, you know, where we, where we sort of opt out or we're pushed out or we, um, you know, somebody the other day was saying there's not a glass ceiling anymore. It's a glass obstacle course. Uh, you're jumping over this and running into that. So there's so many places along that journey. You know, it's no wonder that we're sitting somewhere, I mean, at least in, in Canada, at around 6% of CEOs are women, hmm. right? That's appalling, yeah. given that we are just over 50% of the population, and it's 2019. So that, there, you know, there are so many... Um, there's so many elements to that, but certainly that expectation of ourselves... And, and it's hard one, right? Because we have seen other women who have put themselves out there and been beaten down. Hmm. Yeah, and things are not much different in the US. And in fact, uh, I think it was the Catalyst Group did a survey recently where the number of women in senior management has actually declined in the past couple of years. Um, so that's, that's an alarming statistic in my mind. These, these statistics are really... Um, demoralizing, right? Because, you know, it's interesting. I, there, I was um, at an event um, a couple of weeks ago with Sarah Kaplan from uh, Rotman, which is the University of Toronto uh, Business School. And she runs the um, uh, Institute for Gender and the Economy. And one of the things that she said is the research would say that having a solid business case does not lead to transformational change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's a real focus right now on the business case for why women should be in those, you know, leadership positions, management positions. There's all kinds of information coming out about how even having one woman on your board uh, increases your ROI by 
I don't know, something in the neighborhood of 26%. We know that there's increased results and and outcomes as well as um, improved culture, better decision-making. So we know all this, the business case exists, but the change is still not happening. Hmm. Yeah, I've written articles about that research and uh, it's kind of shocking how beneficial it is having women on. It was actually bigger than I expected in terms of measurable outcomes. I mean, I've certainly experienced the benefits of having mixed gender leadership groups and, um, and seeing the outcomes of that, but um, it's certainly supported by data. But I think the, as in any sort of decision-making, there's always an emotional element. And I think it's, we delude ourselves and it's misleading to think about decisions as just logic-based. And it, it taps into something quite embedded in the culture. And I mean, for example, in Europe, there have been um, leaders, uh, women who've been leaders uh, politically for decades, I understand. And um, in North America, that has just not made a dent. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's (laughs) been some heroic attempts, but um, uh, it's, I mean, Canada's actually had a female prime minister, but that was almost a uh, placeholder type of position, unfortunately, uh, just circumstantial. But um, in terms of uh, women's leadership, it hasn't happened in that way. So I think there's something intrinsic in the culture and the emotional makeup of how people respond to women leaders here that is um, is creating a bit of a roadblock. Well, I want to pick up on two things that you said there. One is the emotional component of decision making. And um, the research actually bears that out, that what does lead to transformational change is um, moral outrage, right? So when mm-hmm. we look at these things and we say, that is just unacceptable, right? And it starts to create that moral outrage. And the analogy or the, the sort of um, reflection of that that I see in the world right now is around the climate crisis movement and what um, Greta Thunberg is able to, to do. She is... Is, lead, is leading this sort of movement and she's got the science and she's got the business case and that's all there. But what I find most compelling about her is the way that she speaks about the moral case for this. Mm. That is powerful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's certainly made a huge impact. I'm, I'm just continue to be amazed by her, um, willingness to speak out in, in large forums and, and she's not had an easy time with the response to that. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's quite inspiring. So that's, I mean, that's, that's, I think if, if we try to make it, um, if we try to make it too data driven, I mean, the data is there, the, the data is there. We could mm-hmm. keep researching this and keep talking about it for a very long time, but I think it, it does come down to, um, starting to take more courageous action and experimentation. You know, if mm. we if we just made a choice and said, you know, let's see what happens um, if we, you know, get our numbers to fifty percent of women in our company, for example, any corporation makes that goal, and some corporations are, which is great, making that goal. Let's let's see what happens. Again, it's it's sort of like let's not be afraid of it being imperfect because it's imperfect now, <laughs> right? So <laughs> it's always, it's imperfect. always imperfect. So let's go we're, for we're it. Human. Yeah. Let's go for it and yeah. see what happens and see what changes and see 
what we can do better if we have more representational leadership. And that's representation of women, but also representation from all these other underrepresented groups who have perspective to share and a view that is different and important and, and just not heard right now. Mm -hmm. Well, I like what you said about moral outrage leading to transformational change. I think we are starting to see that. I mean, the number of women in Congress is at an all-time high in, in the U.S. Congress. And, and so that has, to me, is, was such a positive indicator of a shift. And I'm, uh, I'm hopeful that'll continue. I, I think that's, I agree. Those are courageous women. And, um, and, our, and the other thing they're doing, it's, it's getting there. That's step one, getting, getting to the table. But it's also really being empowered to use your true voice once you get there. And, and that's mm -hmm. what I'm seeing some of these women do. And that is what is going to start to make the difference. They are challenging. They're speaking truth to power. Um, and, and that, I think, is what needs to happen. Because if we just get there and then we behave like everybody else always has, i.e. the white men, um, then nothing's going to change. Hmm. Well, I, I wanted to ask you what you thought the impact is of, of women leading and leading well. What do you see as the, the impact in organizations, in, in the society of that change? I, I see it being very much aligned with um, some of what's happening around benefit corporations and 360 corporations, for example. It's the idea of a more holistic um, viewpoint when you're thinking about uh, stakeholders in decisions. So it's not, um, you know, for example, in the corporate world, it wouldn't just be, you know, the, our one responsibility is to our shareholders, i.e. profit, right, is the only thing that we care about. That's a really outdated way of thinking and also mm -hmm. a really problematic way of thinking. Um, that has not done good service to the economy, to society, um, it's, it's, you know, created a lot of divides between rich and poor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what, what tends to happen, and this is research-based as well, is that when women make decisions in leadership positions, they are more holistic. They're more inclusive in the way they think about stakeholders. So society, community, environment, children, education, system, um, others who are not included because they are very familiar with the experience of not being heard, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. bringing those voices in. So, you know, all of those things create different kinds of decisions, more well-rounded decisions. And I think the potential to, um, to, to really get these systems working together, the idea that these things are all separate, you know, that what we do economically or in corporate America is somehow you know, separate from what happens socially um, or in communities is, is just not true, right? The impact has a huge ripple in either direction. So mm -hmm. let's start thinking about it that way when we make decisions instead of maintaining these artificial divisions, which, which really don't serve the majority of people. Yeah, I agree. Well, and as you know, I, I've been talking about impact for years now, and it's really uh, now there's a, a real movement within business where to the point where um, large uh, company CEOs in the recent business roundtable are talking about we cannot we can no longer have this sole profit focus motive in our businesses. We have to look at 
um, stakeholders. And there's been a movement in that direction. I mean, there are B corporations and conscious capitalism as a movement of uh, in business, but having, um, having that some very kind of influential and previously seen as the, as the profit focused kinds of CEOs making that shift, I think is so indicative of the trend that's happening now. And I think women can be a, an important part of that, as you said, in that holistic decision-making where we're looking at all stakeholders. And do you see this movement as being influenced by women in any way? I do. I, I very much do. And I think, you know, women are in a way uniquely positioned by our very exclusion over history. Um, we are uniquely positioned to see things differently um, and to, um, you know, to, to, to not be as attached to the status quo or the assumptions that have been made so far. Um, so we can see that exclusion as a problem and it definitely has been, you know, it has been a problem. Uh, but at this point in history, let's use it. Let's, let's take that advantage that we do see things differently because we haven't been entrenched um, as much as, as men have. Let's bring that perspective to the table and, and push it. And also, now that we are hearing from people that they understand the concept of, you know, 360 or holistic stakeholder views, let's get after them to be transparent about what action are they taking. Um, and I think that's another thing that, that you know, as, as citizens, we, we should be asking for this information, right? So that's, there's a lot of speech making and there's a lot of, um, you know, one woman being added to the board here or to the C-suite there, but like, let's see what's really being done here. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's so important in terms of accountability as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, the idea that um, if we add one woman, then our work is done is ridiculous because <laughs> I mean, yeah. a, it's not, it's not a way to have the most impact, but also those women who do get the appointment to the board or to the C-suite tend to be privileged tend to be white, tend to have a particular perspective um, based on their, their life experiences that, you know, again, is not inclusive enough, right? It's not um, broad enough. So even within the group of women, we have to understand that there's a lot of diversity um, within that group. And we can't just say yeah, women so and apply the same principles to all. Mm-hmm. Well, it's something you said about, you know, just bringing one woman in isn't enough. There was a study done by Rosabeth Cantor. She's a Harvard professor. She's written books and quite well known in that love her. realm of business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's great. Uh, she did a study in a company that brought her in because they had decided they were going to be more inclusive. They were including women in uh, this all-male tech sales force, and they added a number of women, but the way that the company was geographically distributing them within their local regional sales group, they were the sole woman and they were not performing well. And she was brought in to find out what's going on. And what she found was that women in that isolation of being the only woman are treated very differently than women by, by the men in the group, treated very differently than a number of women are, mm -hmm. uh, their behavior, men's behavior became exaggeratedly male. And, um, 
it was not an environment that was conducive for the women to really thrive because it was, uh, they were not getting the level of cooperation and, and uh, that was happening between the men. So her recommendation was, don't stop there, bring in more women so that they're not as isolated. So I think that context of also of being not just one among many, mm-hmm. but um, a group among a, a larger group is uh, it speaks back to what you were saying about women supporting each other. Yeah. And really. Yeah. And yeah, that, well, ahead. that's where that, you know, those, those pieces of research are so helpful too, because you know, we can make those assumptions that, you know, well, let's just like any woman is good. Let's just bring our woman in. Um, but as this research describes, that doesn't solve um, the, the underlying problems. So we have to, I think we have to keep challenging our assumptions with research like that. There's some work done here too, that is showing that, you know, for example, mandatory diversity training, not only doesn't um, lead to an increase in diversity in hiring practices, but in some cases has a rebound effect and and decreases diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, it's just interesting for us to always be understanding, challenging our assumptions and trying to understand what do real solutions look like or what does real impactful change look like. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to delve a little bit into the Paddle to a Cure program that you created and we're we're absolutely integral part of creating because I think it's informed you uh, and you've referred to this already. It's informed your views on leadership and um, you, you gave a talk about the healing powers of the great outdoors, which I really enjoyed listening to. And, and you also talked about how you periodically as a group have evaluated whether you want to start to include men as leaders. Men are included as participants, but uh, you've done that all along, but, but you, you keep coming to this point of considering should there be male and female leaders, and you've come to the conclusion that there's something important about women's leadership in the wilderness. Can you speak to that and, and what that program has meant for you and your own understanding of, of women's leadership? Yeah, I think, you know, that, that um, initiative was, my, was, was an, a real experiment with building a feminist principle-based organization, basically. Um, and we learned a lot as we went. I would love it if we could get to a point where the women's leadership intensive was just a leadership intensive. Um, and we didn't have to have women-only leadership development experiences or women-only leadership opportunities. Yeah. But I, I don't, we're not there yet. And certainly whenever we experimented with bringing in a male leader in the wilderness in, environment, wilderness guiding, in that case, sea kayak guiding, the dynamics significantly changed. Um, and, and I just think there maybe wasn't a readiness um, the, uh, for the particular men that we, you know, worked with, there wasn't a readiness for them to shift their leadership model yet to be more feminist in their own approach. Hmm. Um, How did that show up? You know, one place where it shows up a lot, and this is in, you know, wilderness expeditions, but also in technical um, uh, industries, such as mining, um, you know, construction, trades, et cetera, that I've done a lot of work with, is that, um, men claim the domain of technical expertise for themselves, which often then 
um, sidelines women into the domain of interpersonal expertise Mm -hmm. or being facilitative Mm -hmm. or being the, the caretakers of relationships. Yeah, the VP of HR. Yeah, 100%. And, and we see this repeated over and over and over again. So again, like even those women who are do have C-suite positions tend to be HR, sustainability, and finance. But that's another topic altogether. But so, so what happens then is it still limits women's leadership potential because then they're sidelined into this, you know, very um, female type of leadership role and they're not able to have a holistic leadership role. And for me, as someone who is very hands-on, and I do love um, the hard skills, the technical skills, the, the more trade-type work, I want to be able to, to work in that domain as well. It doesn't mean I don't look after relationships, but I don't want to be limited to you know, the leader who's always looking after process and people. I also want to look after results, outcomes, and getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that dynamic, just as soon as a, a man comes in, I think they're more, they're comfortable claiming that space and it, it creates this, it creates a binary dynamic, um, which is problematic because I think as humans, we are not as binary as, as the world sort of forces us to be in our, you know, gender, male, female kind of constructs. Mm-hmm. Well, I, we've certainly seen it in the tech industry where, uh, remarkably, women have had a, a lot of difficulty within organizations and how they're treated there. What do you think the traditional gender constraints do to people, both men and women? Hmm, gosh, that's a really big question. Um, I think they do different things to men and women, but I think what is what is true for both is that it, it creates an artificial limitation that we internalize. Um, so for women, you know, the result of that is that we are we're used to we're we're sort of um, it, it definitely affects confidence, a sense of limitation for us being able to take risks and be courageous and step into leadership roles um, to fail, um, et cetera. Um, But I also think it, um, you know, it's a sense of identity. It it creates a sense of identity that is limiting compared to what is true for us. And -hmm. I think that happens for men too. And I think um, when you look at some of the, um, the work that's being done these days around men against violence against women um, and men who are stepping up as allies and feminists, um, what we're starting to hear is that the, this gender binary system does a lot of damage to them too in terms of their mm-hmm. sense of self and social isolation um, because they're not, um, they, they feel unentitled to have intimate relationships unless they're, unless they're heterosexual relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very clo- categorized or cloistered into very specific slots that makes it difficult to have an expansive kind of emotional experience of the world, which is so beneficial for everyone. Yeah, and true for all humans, right? So we're yeah. all sort of mm-hmm. living to half of our potential. It looks different for men than it does for women, but those boxes mm-hmm. keep us um, keep us limited. Yeah, I agree. Well, one of the things I often ask about, because I believe that impact is so much affected by 
and, and really dictated by the values that you hold dear, that you hold as important because our behavior is uh, arises out of that, whether it's conscious or not. So I'm curious about the values that underlie your own business and the women's leadership intensive. Yeah, the, the one one value I really work from is the value of meaning or purpose, and I, I do believe that that people want this, people crave this in their lives, right? We all want to go to work to make a meaningful contribution. I believe um, we want to we want to have meaning in our lives, so that's a key mm-hmm. one. I, I know I want that, and and every person I work with. Um, expresses that too. So I, I feel like the need for meaning and purpose is a deep human need um, and certainly one of my operating values. Um, another one for me is creativity. I think there are so many um, opportunities for new ways of doing things and rebuilding the systems and structures, rebuilding how we think about corporations and organizations. Um, and, and let's experiment. Let's, let's get creative and try some new things. And then uh, a third one I would say is hope. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I spend my days immersed in some pretty um, demoralizing statistics and, and research and, and articles, but I am very hopeful because I, I think that if we can experiment with getting some of these different voices to the decision-making tables of the world, women's voices and others, um, we have the potential here to make better decisions that are better for the environment, that are better for humanity, that are better for um, communities and societies and, and the next generation. The potential's there. I'm very optimistic about it, but we have to do the work. I love that. I'm I'm silently kind of, you know, raising my arms as you're talking because I I'm so much on board with you around that. So thank you for for saying that and and saying it so articulately. And I, I think this is actually a good point to uh, kind of segue into the the rapid round of three questions that I always conclude these interviews with. Are you I'm ready? ready. <laughs> <laughs> what is the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Oh, I, I have two answers to that. One is, um, it really is about getting up every day and doing the work, taking the action, imperfect, uh, experimenting, and just, you know, getting, you know, the days that knock you down, you get back up the next day and do it again, and just keep, keep going. That's one. I think the other huge learning for me is that you know, I'm continually expanding my own perspective and recognizing that I see the world a certain way too because of the way that I grew up. Um, and I love uh, when I have conversations with people that open my eyes to something that I didn't see before, I didn't know before. So I have just as many unconscious biases as anyone else. And I'm working mm-hmm. really hard to challenge them and, and put myself in places that, that help me challenge them. Mm, love that. What is the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? The the one thing that I really know how to do is take care of the experience for people. So, you know, in my uh, Paddle to Acura days, in all of my um, leadership development um, programming and in the Women's Leadership Intensive, I put so much care 
into the experience that people have because I think that matters, right? It builds the trust, which allows people to then connect, which allows um, insights to happen and mind shifts to happen. So I, I really look after the quality of the experience. Mm, that's great. The last question is, what's one insider piece of advice you'd share with another business owner who's saying, I want to have impact. I want to contribute. What would you say to them? Hmm. I would say, you know, hold on to that vision and get as clear as you can about purpose, values, um, and, and really have that be what moves you forward. There are lots of pieces of advice and how-tos, and you'll get all kinds of people who, who want to tell you where to go and why on, on your business. But I think it, it's sort of getting really clear on the core of what this is about and then really trying to act from that place. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that, Belinda, and thank you for being here today. I am so uh, thrilled to have had this conversation with you. I mean, in this time of Me Too and so many things being blown open in terms of our awareness, men's awareness, I think it's also really important to maintain hope and to uh, look to the future and, and have a vision for how things could be different and better. So thank you for sharing all of that with us today. You're very welcome. I have loved the conversation. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, heading to the website is probably the best. So womensleadershipintensive.ca. We are a Canadian company, so that's the .ca. Um, and you can reach out to me there. There's a contact page there. Great. Well, again, Belinda, thank you for being here. I've loved talking with you around these issues. And uh, thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thanks, Ursula. Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at WorkAlchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.